Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Warm welcome to First Move. I'm Rahel Solomon. And today for Julia Chatterley, great to have you with us ahead on the show today. California's grief after another mass shooting. This time, seven people are dead after a lone gunman opened fire in the San Francisco Bay Area. The suspect now in custody. It is the state's third mass shooting in as many days. We'll have a live report. Plus, Poland's push, Warsaw formally asking Germany to okay battle tanks for Ukraine. NATO now confident that the tanks will be sent soon. We'll have an update from Kiev just ahead. And Oscars unveiling. The Academy Award nominations have just been announced. Big nods to Elvis, Avatar, and the Fablemans. A full report on the nominees a little later in the show. But first, far from an Oscar-worthy performance for the global markets. Look at that. Red arrows across the screen. U.S. stocks set to pull back from seven-week highs amid a mixed bag of Q4 results. Microsoft on deck later today. Europe also mostly lower. Although, new data out today showing Eurozone business activity back in expansion mode for the first time in months. ECB head Christine Lagarde saying in Davos last week that the Eurozone economy will perform a lot better this year than many people had feared. So can Europe avoid recession in 2023? We'll discuss. Also, shares of tech giant Alphabet under pressure pre-market down about 1.2 percent. Bloomberg reporting that the U.S. is set to sue Google's parent company over its dominance in digital ads. Lots to get to today, but let's begin with the latest on the war in Ukraine. Germany saying that it will decide soon whether to allow other countries to send German-made Leopard 2 tanks to Ukraine. There is no new status yet. I have always said that I expect the training of Ukrainian forces on these partners' tanks to start already, that a decision will be taken shortly, and I still assume that. But what I want to emphasize again is what I said in Rammstein. I explicitly encourage the partner countries that have Leopard tanks that are ready for use to start training Ukrainian forces on these tanks already. And now Poland has formally asked Germany for permission to deliver the battle tanks to Kyiv. Salma Abdelaziz joins us with the latest. So, Salma, it appears that Germany has been saying this announcement would be coming soon, at least for the last few days since that meeting of defense ministers. What can you tell us about what's happening now in terms of the conversations taking place, the negotiations taking place? Bring us up to speed here. Absolutely. So Germany's allies and partners are really piling on the pressure here, pushing Berlin to make a decision on whether or not they're going to give a green light to deploy these leopard tanks to Ukraine. And this is a matter that does not just impact Germany. There's around 2,000 of these tanks. They're spread across 13 different European countries. And for any one of those countries, even if they own those tanks, for any one of those countries to send those tanks to Ukraine, they need legally to get the okay from Berlin. 
Now, this really escalated when Poland's foreign minister said a few days ago, look, if uh, we don't have that approval from Germany and we can collect a coalition of partners, we might go ahead without that approval and send those tanks to Ukraine. Now, Poland saying they have submitted that official request to Germany. Germany saying they're reviewing it as a matter of urgency. You heard there from Germany's newly appointed foreign minister saying to his partners, go ahead and train Ukrainian troops if that's what you need to do. But we are still working on the sort of bureaucracy, if you will, of giving the okay for these leopard tanks. And there's also been this back and forth about whether or not it's the right type of tank to send. Uh, Debates on whether or not U.S.-made tanks, the Abrams, should be sent instead. But what you hear repeatedly from analysts and from Ukrainian officials is that these are the tanks needed right now. Probably yesterday, if you ask President Zelensky. He sees all of this red tape as wasting of time and causing more bloodshed on the ground. And if you take a step back, you absolutely can look at the battleground now and see how Ukraine is under pressure in places like Bakhmut. Ukrainian officials saying Russia is preparing for a spring offensive in the use of these leopard tanks right on the front lines in what is very much an infantry war, meaning it is all about those foot soldiers, all about the artillery. Those tanks can spearhead and provide the movements that Ukraine needs going forward in this anticipated counteroffensive this spring. Essentially, time is of the essence here. Sama Abdulaziz, thank you. And staying in Ukraine, several top officials, including a deputy defense minister and a deputy prosecutor general, have been removed from the government. It is the largest shakeup in President Zelensky's government since the war began 11 months ago. Fred Plykin joins us now. He is live in Kiev. So, Fred, what more do we know about these folks who are resigning and also what led to the resignations? Well, first of all, it's a, it's a lot of them, Rahel. It's a lot of deputy ministers. It's also some regional governments as well, where the cabinet here has decided that they need to go. A lot of people also tendering their resignations. One of them, for instance, the deputy head of the presidential administration. So that's someone who was really, really high up and certainly someone who's also very pro- high profile here in the country. Now, all this pretty much started off last week when a deputy minister got taken into custody for alleged embezzlement. And since then, we've sort of seen this wave of people tendering their resignations, possibly not completely voluntarily, and other people's being sacked outright. Now, it's unclear what exactly is behind this large wave of all this, but it certainly seems to be as though uh, the president of this country, Volodymyr Zelensky, is somewhat cleaning up the ranks and certainly trying to remove some people that he might feel are not fully on board with the effort of defending against Russia and certainly might also be doing some other things uh, as well. It was interesting because a top presidential advisor earlier today and came out and said, look, this operation that we're seeing right now, these sackings that we're seeing right now, they show that Volodymyr Zelensky, the president, feels the the pulse of the people and the people who are in office, the people who are in government, need to understand that in these tough times, they have a job to do and they certainly shouldn't deviate from that. So a really big purge going on here right now. Uh, unclear how much longer this will go on or if there will be others that follow. But this is a big political shakeup that we're seeing here in Kiev, Rahel. It certainly sounds like it. Fred, while I have you, I want to turn your attention to the Wagner Group, a Ukrainian military intelligence document obtained by CNN, just pointing out, uh, among other things, how effective this group has been Mm. for the Russian side. Help me understand, and for our viewers at home and around the world, is it just the brutality Mm. of this group or is there something else at play here? Well, there's a lot of things that apparently are at play here, at least as far as the Ukrainians believe. They say that, uh, obviously, it is a group that operates in a very brutal way, but also in complete disregard of their own losses. And we did obtain a document from the Ukrainian military outlining this, how the Wagner Group is fighting, and why they are one of the few units that are affiliated with the Russian military that are able to get gains here in Ukraine. Here's what we learned. 
As Russia's invasion of Ukraine falters, there's one group that is having some success on the battlefield. The brutally effective Wagner private military company led by Putin ally Yevgeny Prigozhin. Wagner, why are we effective and where does this effectiveness come from, he asks. First, we have been fighting for many years. Probably we are the most experienced army in the world today. And Ukraine's leadership is alarmed by Wagner's success. CNN has exclusively obtained a military document outlining Kiev's assessment of the group. There are also purely military reasons for Wagner's effectiveness, the document says, as the command structure and tactics currently employed are the only ones that are effective for the poorly trained, mobilized troops that make up the majority of Russian ground forces. Ukraine's military filmed this video showing Wagner's assault tactics using waves of fighters trying to overwhelm and encircle a Ukrainian position. The tasks are set to be as primitive as possible. To achieve the goal, many assault groups are deployed and attacks can be carried out for a long period of time without regard to losses, the document says. The first waves are often convicts, essentially used as cannon fodder. The deaths of thousands of Wagner soldiers do not matter to Russian society, the military document asserts, and unauthorized withdrawal of a team or without being wounded is punishable by execution on the spot. Prigozhin makes no secret of the fact that losses don't matter to him. He recently visited a building where the bodies of the fallen were kept. Their contracts have ended. They are going home, he said. But Prigozhin also claims to respect the Ukrainians defending against his mercenaries, saying they're fighting with valor. You need to be more careful to send them off in a dignified manner, he said, while recently overseeing an exchange of bodies between Wagner and the Ukrainian army. Internally, though, it's a brutal regime. A pro-Wagner social media channel recently posted a video of mercenaries using a sledgehammer to kill a former comrade who allegedly defected and criticized the group. The word is out on the battlefield, too. Ukrainian intelligence intercepted this call, which CNN cannot independently verify, of a Russian soldier talking to a friend about Wagner. <laughs> Still, Wagner's morale seems high, the Ukrainians say, and the fighters are often better equipped than Russia's regular forces, thanks to what the Ukrainians claim is U.S.-made technology. In contrast to the Russian armed forces, Wagner's main means of communication are American-made radio relay stations and Motorola walkie-talkies, the Ukrainian document says. And Rahel, we did reach out to the Motorola uh, company and ask them uh, for a statement. They said that they stopped selling to both Russia and Belarus and essentially stopped all of their operations there right after Russia invaded Ukraine. But, you know, there's so much uh, in this military document we got. One of the other things that we thought was really interesting, we've been hearing so much about infighting going on between Wagner and Prigozhin specifically and the leadership of the Russian military, where the document says that apparently the Russian military is now recommending some of those brutal tactics that Wagner uses for, for Russian regular forces as well, Rahel. Fred Plykin, thank you. Just an incredible and chilling look inside of that group.
Well, some optimism now this morning that Europe could dodge a recession this year. An initial reading of Eurozone PMI showed activity in the manufacturing and service sectors grew in January. That is the first expansion since June. But business activity in the U.K., well, that contracted sharply. Anna Stewart joins me now from London. And I suppose let's start with the good news, at least for Europe. What's behind this more optimistic forecast? Yeah, a few factors at play. And it's interesting because it's not just the first indicator we've really had of this sort of shifting economic outlook. Yesterday, there was a survey of analysts by Consensus Economics that also suggested the Eurozone would avoid recession. And it's interesting because the same survey just one month ago told the exact opposite story. So quite the about turn. And in Davos last week, I felt like the mercury in CNN's economic thermometer was rising. Here's what the uh, Dutch Prime Minister Mark Rutte said to Richard Quest. I'm not sure Europe will go into a recession. I am not a uh, political forecast, sorry, economic forecaster, so we have to see economically what will happen. But when we came into Davos, everybody was a bit pessimistic. There is now more optimism, also because of the latest figures coming out of the UK, coming out of Germany. More optimism and a few reasons for that. First of all, energy. Europe's actually in a much better position in terms of energy than it was, say, in October, uh, a result of stockpiles, but also simply a fact that winter wasn't as bad as it could have been. It could have been a lot colder. Supply chain issues have ease. That's a huge benefit to producers. And so that has an outsized benefit for a big economy like Germany. And lastly, China's reopening. Now, that happened very recently, very suddenly. But I think the outlook in terms of that has already boosted optimism levels across the block. It's interesting, Anna. Yesterday we spoke with an an expert on uh, China's economy, Leyland Mueller, who said that many people expect the Chinese consumer to save the world. He wasn't so sure. But I do want to turn to another major economy, the U.K. The forecast there not looking so promising. What's happening there? Yeah, really not so good, is it? So the same PMI data for the UK told a very different story. The steepest decline in business activity since the COVID lockdown two years ago. So certainly no good news here. This is the toxic combination of high interest rates, inflation, the cost of living crisis and suppressed uh, consumer confidence, really. That's really taken a slump, particularly in services. And also we can add to that. And I know you've been talking about this on the show in recent weeks, the strikes we've been seeing, which, according to the UK's Office of National Statistics, have been so bad that the UK economy lost more working days between June and November of last year than any six month period uh, over the last 30 years. And strikes really are a byproduct of all of those issues. Frankly, wages just not keeping up with the cost of living. Uh, There's also a little bit more to it. And I I am almost loath to mention this because I feel like it's all I've talked about (laughs) for the last few years. But the chief economist of S&P Global, who put together the PMI report, also highlighted longer term structural issues related to Brexit. So more than six years since the vote, nearly three years since it actually was implemented. Still structural issues with trade and with labour shortages. Rahel. Anna Stewart, good to have you. Thank you. Back here in the U.S., three communities in California have been rocked by gun violence in the past three days, most recently in Half Moon Bay. On Monday, a gunman killed at least seven people in two separate locations. Authorities now working to establish a motive. Veronica Miracle is standing by in Half Moon Bay. Veronica, what can you tell us? Bring us up to speed here. 
Well, Rahel, those two locations where this massacre took place, just less than five minutes apart. At that first location, the call, uh, the 911 call came in around just before 2.30, with deputies responding to reports of a shooting with multiple victims. And when they arrived, they found four bodies and a fifth person who's still critically injured. And then a short distance away, they found another three bodies. Um, one of these locations is a farm, a mushroom farm, and it is believed that some of the people who work there also live there. And this happened in the afternoon after school got out. So there there were children present during this horrific shooting, seven people in total killed at this point. Um, and then about two hours after that first phone call to 911 came in, a sheriff's deputies discovered a uh, 67-year-old uh, Chun-Li Zhao in the parking lot of a police substation, and that's where they were able to take him into custody relatively without any issues. Police believe that he acted alone and that um, he, you know, turned himself in. But as far as the motive, it is very unclear. And of course, this community reeling right now. Here's what the mayor had to say. Our hearts are, are torn out of our chests for, for all these individuals and families. Our neighbors, our friends, the um, only, only thing we do know is that some of the victims were um, Chinese, that the um, the perpetrator was Chinese, and that this was an agricultural uh, community. They were agricultural workers. And Rahel, there are some disturbing similarities between this mass shooting here in Half Moon Bay and a mass shooting that took place in Southern California just a couple of days ago in Monterey Park. Both of the suspects, older Asian gentlemen uh, who went and targeted, uh, police say, other Asian individuals. But something that is acutely uh, just specific to this community here, the state has been battered, <clears throat> excuse me, by storms in recent weeks. And it's an agricultural community here that has been severely impacted impacted by flooding, including some of the farm workers here uh, who believe to be victims. So there's just tragedy upon tragedy and trauma that this community is dealing with. Rahel. Yeah, it's, it's a great point, Veronica. It's been uh, just certainly a rough go for California, but then you sort of add this to the mix and it, you know, you have these communities in California grieving a, a tough state of affairs for not just California, but really the nation at large. Veronica Miracle, thank you. And as we mentioned, three California communities are now mourning lives lost in mass shootings. In Monterey Park, a vigil will be held on Tuesday evening for the 11 people who were killed on Saturday. We are also learning more about the victims of that shooting, which occurred on the eve of Lunar New Year. It's now being reported that two Taiwanese Americans, one Filipino American, and at least one Chinese citizen are among the dead. We'll have more First Move after this. Welcome back. It is a busy week for earnings, and that crucial first quarter guidance will be the main driver for stocks, according to my next guest. Microsoft, Verizon, Johnson & Johnson, and GE, just some of the big ones reporting today. Art Hogan is predicting that there will be more good news than bad, with two-thirds of firms beating estimates. So how is that holding up? Well, let's ask Art Hogan himself. He is the chief market strategist at B. Riley Wealth Management. Art, good to have you today. It's great to be here. Thank you very much. So what's behind the forecast? And I, and I also wonder, are corporate earnings, do you think, becoming more important in this stage of the inflation fighting cycle where it appears we've gotten convincing evidence on the inflation front? It appears the Fed will soon be done with its rate hikes. Do you think corporate earnings become now more important? And what's behind your, your forecast here? 
Yeah, certainly. I think that, um, you know, as we went through the third quarter earnings reporting season, there was a big concern that we're going to see a massive slowdown and, and, and clearly things turned out better than feared. I suspect the same type of reaction function here in the fourth quarter earnings reporting season. While it's early days and we've only had about 65 S&P 500 companies report so far, we're having the historic number of beats, both on the earnings line and the revenue line. But what's more important is thus far, in terms of guidance, it really hasn't drawn down the consensus estimate for 2023 yet. And, and that's that's the important thing when you try to stack up valuations and what makes sense uh, for levels. So. This will be an important week, as will next, and we'll have a much larger sample set of uh, companies reporting. And this this is one of the busier weeks, uh, with next week being the busiest. But I think what we'll really be paying close attention to and watching is, does the aggregate guidance draw down what we think the S&P 500 can throw off in terms of earnings for 23? And therefore, is the, our multiple assumptions um, uh, appropriate or justified? Mm, I think that's an interesting point, though, that we've seen a, an impressive number of beats so far. And it makes me wonder, is this a yet another example sometimes of the difference between the narrative of what's happening in the economy versus what is actually happening in the economy? Yeah, there's there's certainly some dichotomy there for sure. And we've certainly seen that across a broad spectrum of, of sectors. But I would, I would say it's also that sort of natural inclination for Wall Street analysts to be conservative. And that's been true for for a long time, you don't get rewarded for being overly optimistic. And as a matter of fact, when you know earnings miss estimates, the reaction function tends to be much sharper than it is if you you know if you beat modestly. But I also think what's really important here is, to your point, it's that it's ju- the juxtaposition between the narrative around how much things have slowed down in the economy versus how corporate America is doing. And I think that the recent announcements of layoffs is a pretty good sign that technology companies in general are trying to get back to a manageable size to manage their expenses, et cetera. So if you look at all the layoffs that have been announced, which seems like on a daily basis, really only getting the the total level of uh, employment at tech companies back to where they were in the in 2021. There was a massive amount of hiring that went on in, in technology companies between 20 and 22. They're getting back to where they were in 21. I think that's going to make a great deal of sense and help protect margins. Mm, I think it's a great point. I also want to ask to that point in terms of what we see in tech versus what we see perhaps in the broader economy. What specific names are you going to be watching this week? Because I know we get some of the big tech names, as I said, Microsoft. But one thing that got my attention is that we hear from a lot of the credit card companies. We hear from Visa. We hear from American Express. We hear from MasterCard. And when I hear that, I think, well, might we learn a bit more about the consumer this week in terms of how consumers are spending? Such an excellent point. And that's that's entirely correct. I think that when we think about what gives us the best window into how the consumer is doing, how active they are, where they where these companies stand on delinquencies, we'll get a really good report card with those three uh, reporters. I think they're going to surpass expectations. Expectations have come down significantly for the credit card companies. And I think that's integral to our assumption of how the consumer continues to do. It's hard to take the retail sales data on a standalone basis because there was so much shifting um, of holiday shopping and, and back to school shopping into the months of September and October, which were upside surprises versus the no- November, December period. So when we actually get to hear from the, the companies that are actually the sort of picks and shovels of the consumer spend, I think that'll help us understand where the consumer stands right now. 
Yeah, I think it's a great point because we got that retail sales data, which really disappointed and really uh, spooked quite a few people in terms of what it could mean. But we'll learn a lot more later this week. All right, I want to pivot a bit because I understand that we've talked a lot about chat GPT on this program. We're going to talk about it a bit more later in the program. But you, too, have experienced or played around with the technology. What more can you tell us about your experience with chat GPT? Well, it's interesting. I write a morning commentary every day and I thought I'd... uh I do a little experimenting to see how that would come out, and it was surprisingly pretty sharp in in, in terms of uh, what it produced. Obviously, you know, it's a sort of a good rough draft. I'll never use it necessarily in its early stages, and 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 I'm not sure how it uh, will uh, eventually be monetized. We certainly know there's a lot of excitement around um, AI, and and Microsoft is making some big moves into and into sponsoring that. But I will tell you this: I wish I had it when I was in college. It certainly would have come in handy when uh, I had to write papers and whatnot. Well, I don't know, because you were able to sharpen your writing skills, your critical thinking skills that we all rely on so much because you had to uh, write those papers. And before I let you go, speaking of assistants, we couldn't help but notice that you had two adorable dogs on your Twitter. I think we can pull up the photo. And I have to wonder, inquiring minds have to wonder, are they bullish or bearish on the U.S. economy for 2023? Well, I tell you, the black and white one, whose name is Ziggy, is is very conservative, but also uh, modestly bullish. He, he tends to really lean into things that are much more cyclical, whereas the crazy redhead, who is maverick, is 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 really excited about the resurgence of technology stocks. But in in general, both those guys sort of remind me every day that the the economy likely has. Uh, some more downside to it, but uh, there's a there's still a great opportunity for a soft landing here. Here, here. And here's hoping. Art Hogan, great to have you. Thank you. Thank you. He is the chief market strategist at B. Riley Wealth Management. And after the break, we just talked about it. Art Hogan, he said that he tested out chat GPT. But who else is going all in on the viral sensation? And who's already warning about it? We'll discuss. Welcome back to First Move. U.S. stocks are up and running. Wow, the Nasdaq starting the day up 2%. Actually, I think that might be from yesterday, so we'll get that updated for you. But the Dow Jones and the S&P both off about half a percent. A lower open there for those two major averages. We'll check to see just about the same actually for the Nasdaq. I would have been surprised if the Nasdaq started up 2%, but you never know these days. Mixed results from major U.S. firms reporting today. We have Weaker than expected numbers from manufacturing giant and post-it notemaker 3M. It's cutting its guidance and also announcing 2,500 job cuts. Telecom giant Verizon offering disappointing forward guidance as well. Now, on the plus side, Johnson & Johnson may beat earnings estimates and also raising its 2023 outlook. J&J, the first big pharmaceutical firm to report Q4 results. And as we discussed in the last block, a new and controversial artificial tool is known as ChatGPT. It's gaining popularity for its ability to craft emails, write essays, and answer almost any question in a matter of seconds. But with great power also comes great responsibility, and people are already sounding the alarm about the risk of it being misused. CNN's Vanessa Yurkevich has more. ChatGPT, short for Chat Generative Pre-Training Transformer, is a machine learning model that can generate human-like text. It's been trained on a massive amount of data, allowing it to understand and respond to a wide range of questions and prompts. What you just heard me reading wasn't written by me. It was written by artificial intelligence, ChatGPT. I simply typed in a prompt, write a TV news script written by a reporter about ChatGPT. 
And in just seconds, the AI spit out the copy you just heard. ChatGPT has exploded in popularity in recent months. CEOs are now using it to write emails. It even passed a Wharton School of Business exam. Should people be more excited about ChatGPT or more fearful of it? I think we should have a mixed view. OpenAI, which owns ChatGPT, says the technology is still in its research phase and can produce inaccurate information. You like artificial intelligence, but are you here to issue a warning about it? Absolutely. Artificial intelligence is sort of like a teenager right now. It's exciting to see the teenager like get its footing, but it's also not there yet and we can't trust it. But Microsoft thinks it's a good bet, even with some risks. They're investing billions of dollars in open AI. Jack Poe, CEO of Ansible Health, had ChatGPT take three versions of the U.S. medical licensing test. And it passed all three. Not only can it answer very complex questions, it can also modulate its answer. Poe and his team of 30 doctors started using the platform to help with treatment for their patients who have COPD, a pulmonary disease. What this technology could really enable and has already started enabling us is to suddenly suggest things that we might not be thinking of at all. It will absolutely save lives. Jake Heller is a lawyer and founder of Case Text, which helps its clients comb through documents using AI like ChatGPT. You can have it read police reports. You can, you can have it see if witnesses gave contradictory testimony. You can almost certainly help find information that is pertinent to you know, guilt or innocence. But Poe and Heller both say that human oversight of ChatGPT is still necessary. OpenAI says the platform can produce harmful instructions. In law, there absolutely is right and wrong answers. And that's why you know, ChatGPT alone is not going to be enough to handle some of the most important questions in fields like law. And then there's the question of plagiarism. New York City public schools ban ChatGPT on school network devices due to concerns about negative impacts on student learning and concerns regarding the safety and accuracy of content. It's an incredible innovation. At the same time, it's like opening a Pandora's box. Which is why Edward Tien, a 22-year-old Princeton student himself, spent his winter break building GPT-0, which he says can detect whether something is likely written by a human or chat GPT. He says teachers use it to check their students' papers. Is this like one AI cross-checking another AI? In a sense, uh, yeah. But can it spot misinformation? Oh, okay, yeah. So as opposed to um, misinformation, it's more of like it can only spot if something is AI generated or human generated. And that's the greatest fear of all, spreading misinformation. ChatGPT, a tool designed to help humanity, could ultimately hurt it. People who want to manipulate elections and things like that, um, instead of like writing one thing at a time, you're going to be able to write thousands of things to give, for example, vaccine um, denialism um, more oxygen than it deserves. Vanessa Yurkevich, CNN, New York. Meanwhile, Microsoft is staking billions on ChatGPT, announcing a major investment on OpenAI on Monday. Microsoft, which was an early investor in the startup, said that it plans to expand its partnership with OpenAI as part of its effort to add more AI to its suite of products. My next guest says that big tech players like Google, Amazon, and Apple 
are ready to engage in the AI arms race. Joining me now is Dan Ives, Managing Director and Senior Equity Analyst at Wedbush Securities. Dan, always good to see you. Great to see you. So lots of questions for sure about the ethical implications of the program, but I want to ask you how large of an opportunity is this? I mean, you say it could be a game changer for Microsoft. Our last guest, we asked him about it. He's a market strategist. He said, look, it was a pretty sharp program. How big is this this market, do you think? Look, it's a trillion dollar market opportunity. And that's why Microsoft spent 10 billion. And what I view is probably the most game changing AI technology we've seen. That's important because this is going to be a Game of Thrones battle versus big tech. When you look at Amazon, Apple, and others, as well as the China-U.S. story that continues to play out on AI. So how many major players would you say we're talking about at this point in terms of uh, staking a major investment? Look, in terms of big tech, I mean, right now, I think this is sort of having the, you know, Google go to the whiteboard in terms of some of their AI technology, because this is a shot across the bow at Google. You look what Amazon's doing, Cook and Cupertino clearly on the AI front, and then even Zuckerberg, Meta, and others. Then you look at China. I mean, they've really been ahead in the AI race. And that's why from Microsoft, go back to the mid-90s, they basically stopped investment due to the the antitrust situation they were going through. The Dell is not going to make the same mistake here. They're diving into the deep end of the pool on AI. I view this as a strategic poker move, a home run deal. Okay, so AI, certainly the future or perhaps the future. But let's also talk about the present with these tech players. Every day, every week, we're hearing more about layoffs. When does that start to normalize, Dan? Look, I think a lot of these tech companies, the last four or five years, they were spending money like 1980s rock stars. And hyper growth's not continuing. Clock struck midnight, and now you're starting to see cost cuts. I still think we could see another 5-10% cuts across the board. Now be a narrative over the coming weeks in terms of tech earnings. But these companies are going to continue to invest in innovation and growth areas while cutting some of the non-strategic areas. But it is a canary in the coal mine for what I think is going to be a darker 2023 as tech firms navigate it. Looking ahead to Microsoft, what are you watching in terms of uh, advertising spend, in terms of its cloud computing business? What are you going to be watching very closely? And do you think the street's going to be watching? Yeah, I think it's all about cloud. I mean, that's really almost Goodyear blimp sort of headline here. I think many have been yelling fire in a crowd theater that cloud's going to drop off significantly. We don't think so. I think in Microsoft's the best barometer, not just for cloud, but enterprise spend. It's probably going to be the most closely watched tech earnings along with Apple uh, that we see, not just uh, across the street, but even on the world in terms of industry leaders. So I believe Microsoft, it's about that cloud guidance. I think it's going to be better than feared. And this is going to be important. I view this as the tech earnings season that will actually lift names higher. A lot of bad news baked in. That's interesting. It's been a positive start to the tech earnings season. At least you could argue Netflix sort of started the tech players off on a positive note. I want to get a few more things in here, uh, Dan. Tesla and China. Have the price cuts been working for Tesla and China? Because once upon a time, not long ago, Tesla was really dealing with a demand problem. It was dealing with increasing domestic competition. Are the price cuts working? Yeah, I think out of the gate, it's been a home run. I mean, we did a survey last week uh, talking to over 500 Chinese EV consumers about three in every four look like they're going to buy a Tesla. This has catalyzed more and more of that buying. And I think it's what Tesla needs to do. Because right now, it's a price war that's playing out. They need to defend their turf. And it's still a massive market that we see in EVs. 
that's going to be a big focus in terms of Musk and Tesla tomorrow after the market. And Dan, before I let you go, is it too soon to start thinking about a rebound for tech? I mean, typically you think about some of the hardest hit names being the first to rebound. Is it too soon to start thinking about that for tech? I think tech stocks are up 20% plus this year. Fang names could be up 30%. The New York City cab driver right now is bearish on tech. And I just think there's a lot of bad news baked in. We'd be buying high quality tech names. Have you earnings is better than feared as these companies ripped a Band-Aid off from 2023 guidance. Very interesting. Dan Ives, good to have you. Thank you. He is the managing director and senior equity analyst at Wedbush Securities. Still to come, they want us to be emotionless machines. After rare anti-COVID protests in China, there are still reports of people being detained. CNN's Selena Wang looks at one woman's story. Welcome back. Don't let us disappear. That's the ominous appeal from a protester in China who vanished after recording that message. She is one of several young women who have been quietly detained after rare anti-zero COVID protests in Beijing. Selena Wang has a story. If you're seeing this video, that means I've already been taken by the police. These are the chilling words of a young woman in China who took part in this demonstration in Beijing on November 27th. It was one of dozens of anti-zero COVID protests that erupted in cities across China. They're chanting that they don't want COVID tests, they want freedom. Police lined the streets, but the mood was calm and peaceful. Many were there to mourn the lives lost in China's Arumqi city, where a deadly fire broke out in a lockdown building. This 26-year-old woman, an editor at a publishing house, said that is why she and her friends took to the streets. She said they followed the rules and didn't have any conflict with the police. Soon after filming this, she was arrested. She knew her time was nearing. CNN has learned from sources that weeks after the protest, police started rounding up her friends one by one, most of them also young female professionals. We tracked down and interviewed one of her friends who's been tirelessly searching for her. We're not revealing her name or any of the sources we've spoken to because of concerns of retribution from the Chinese state. Authorities want to intimidate ordinary people, she said. They want to turn people into emotionless machines. We can't even gather together to grieve. Police swiftly cracked down on the protesters, in some cities violently pushing and dragging the demonstrators. But the Beijing protesters peacefully dispersed. Afterwards, police blanketed protest sites. In some places, authorities check cell phones for virtual private networks and track down participants with cell phone data. Soon after, China dropped its zero-COVID policy and opened up. In his New Year's Eve address, Chinese leader Xi Jinping said it was, quote, only natural for different people to have different concerns or hold different views on the same issue. But behind the scenes, their loved ones say the retribution continues. She's paying a heavy price. We were born into this land, so naturally we would want to make China better. But now I feel there's nothing that we can do, she says, breaking down into tears. Authorities have made no official comment about the detentions and will likely never know how many people have been detained in connection with the protests, if it's dozens, hundreds or more. As people across China are celebrating the Lunar New Year with their newfound freedom, the young woman says the mothers of her and her friends 
want to know why their daughters were taken from them. In her final words in the video message, she made this call for help. Don't let us be taken away or convicted arbitrarily. Don't let us disappear from this world unjustly. CNN has asked Beijing authorities for comment on the young woman you saw there, along with the other detentions, but we have not heard back. We've learned she's one of eight people who have been quietly detained after the protests. People who know these women tell us they were confused as to why they were taken, describing them as young female professionals working in publishing, journalism and education, saying they are socially minded but not dissidents or organizers. Experts say the police may have been suspicious of young, politically aware women. Chinese authorities have a well-documented history of targeting feminists, and at least one of the women detained was questioned during her interrogation about whether she had any involvement in feminist groups. Selena Wang, CNN, Beijing. Call it a gamer's worst fear in the Lunar New Year. Millions of Chinese video game fans logging on this holiday period only to find they have lost access to the hugely popular World of Warcraft franchise. You can blame this disappointment on a long-running licensing battle. Mark Stewart joins me now from Hong Kong. So, Mark, just explain to me what's happening here. So, Rahel, at the end of the day, this is kind of a a business relationship that, that just went sour, if you will. If you are a video game operator and you want to have your games available for people to play in China, you have to have a local license, if you will. So we have Blizzard, uh, which is the very big uh, video game player, and then we have uh, NetEase, which is the local... A provider in China. Well, they had a deal that was pretty strong for about 14 years. And then last year, they hit some, some barriers along the way. And basically, the deal dissolved. So now, people who have been playing um, many of popular video games are, are without luck. I mean, these games have basically been suspended. I mean, of course, the big one is uh, World of Warcraft, which is very popular. You not you play with people from really all over the world. It's one of those multiplayer games. It's been suspended, and the reaction has been pretty, pretty robust on social media. We heard from one player who said that they were crying in their sleep over this. So if it's a big part of your routine, Rahel, I understand why people may be a little upset. Fair enough. Not here to judge. But, Mark, I do wonder, is it suspended forever? Is it game over forever? It is not game over forever. At least that's what Blizzard hopes. Right now, the company is is trying to find another provider in China that they can reach some kind of agreement with. And as we know, the Chinese market is one that you want to be in if you are in entertainment. There are more than a billion people. uh, And this is an outlet which is very popular. Uh, The good thing, though, is that Blizzard says that it has basically uh, frozen or stored a people's player profile. So no matter where you were in the game, when things hopefully start up again, you'll be able to resume where you left off. Well, hopefully that makes people feel a bit better. But as you pointed out, Mark, apparently popular and people are very passionate about it. So we'll watch to see how this all unfolds. Thank you, Mark Stewart. Take care. But, but speaking of entertainment, this year's Oscar nominations came out not long ago. Everything Everything Everywhere All at Once is leading the pack, picking up 11 nominations. And in a sign that the Academy Awards are embracing more popular movies, the Best Picture category includes a battle between Avatar, The Way of Water, and our executive producer Bob Cookson's favorite, Top Gun Maverick. Chloe Malas has the list in her hands. Chloe, what else got your attention? What else are you looking at? 
Well, I mean, first of all, the fact that Avatar, The Way of Water, and Top Gun are both nominated is a huge deal because in years past, when you look at the Oscars, it's usually like the indie films. And I can't tell you how many years have gone by where I have family and friends who say, I haven't seen any of these movies. Well, not this year. And I definitely think that the fact that Avatar and Top Gun are nominated for Best Picture, that is a really huge deal and I think marks that the Academy Award they're shifting and they're actually nominating movies that people are seeing. Uh, Jerry Bruckheimer, who directed Top Gun, he released a statement just moments ago saying that this is his first Oscar nomination and he thanks everyone um, on behalf of himself, the film, the crew, and Tom Cruise. Um, and he you know, says that they are so honored by this and so many stars in Hollywood waking up to these nominations. So I also want to point out that the Banshees of Inishirin, which I finally watched, is also leading the way with Oscar nominations right underneath everything, everywhere, all at once um, with 11 nods. And that is a movie that a lot of people are talking about. Colin Farrell stars in this movie, Brendan Gleeson, and it's set in Ireland. And it's about two best friends who have this falling out. And it's a it's a pretty interesting, interesting movie that you, you can see right there. I think it's just so beautiful, like where it was shot and everything. Also, one of my children's favorites, Puss in Boots, was nominated uh, for Best Animated Film. And then Lady Gaga, she has a nomination for Best Original Score. So that's really, really exciting. Um, But there are so many movies. And then Angela Bassett, who we all love, she got a nomination for Best Supporting Actress for uh, Wakanda Forever for her role. And people just love her. I know I do. I saw her recently speaking at the Glamour Women of the Year Awards. She's so inspiring. You know if she wins, she's going to give some jaw-dropping speech. Um, But there are just so many great movies. Oh, also, let me mention, Rihanna nominated in the same category with Lady Gaga for original song. Um, So Lady Gaga for Top Gun Maverick, Rihanna for her song in Black Panther, Wakanda Forever. But mark your calendars. The Oscars are on March 12th. So we're just a couple weeks away, well, about a month away or so from seeing this all go down. And I'm sure it will be, though, less eventful than last year's Oscar slap with Will Smith. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it it won't take much to make it less eventful than that. You know, Chloe, every time we get these nominations, I always think I really have to watch more movies. We don't have a lot of time yet. But if I am allowed to ask you your personal favorite, I know you're a journalist and you don't take sides. But if I am allowed to ask what your I can tell you, favorite is. I okay. can tell you my favorite movie here. It's okay. Top Gun. Top mm. Gun, Top Gun, Top Gun. I'm thrilled it was nominated. I'm just going to say it right here. I hope it wins. I mean, that would be a shock. But I think it has a real chance. Keep your you eyes wouldn't on be Top the Gun. only one. Our, our executive <laughs> producer, Bob, told me this morning he, too, thinks that it will win. Chloe Malas, thank you. Thank you. All right, let's get one more check of the markets on an unusual day of trade so far on Wall Street. So U.S. stocks are mostly lower. You can see the Dow is off about 97 points. But lots of confusion in the opening minutes of trade. Many stocks on the New York Stock Exchange were halted. Some 80 stocks in all. No word yet on exactly what happened. We'll continue to follow it. In the meantime, that is it for the show today. I'm Rahel Solomon. Connect the World is next. When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. 
And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 Smart Bed is only $1,599. Save $300 for a limited time, only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Prices higher in Alaska and Hawaii. Quality sleep is essential, and that's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. So, you can choose what's right for you whenever you like. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature. Quiets their snores. Sleep Number does that. Sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on Sleep Number limited edition smart beds for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com.